to America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Welcome, everybody. Buck Sexton here with you all now. Thank you so much for joining. A lot to talk to you about today. Some of it will be a preview of all the things we'll be talking about next week. Because next week is when we hit the... 100 days into the Trump administration mark. Um, But I I wanted to start, if I could, uh, with, which I guess I can because it's my show and I get to to talk about what I want to talk about, which is nice. It's a fun part about radio. Uh, With the the latest on Trump and France and the comparisons that everyone's drawing with the upcoming uh, French election, I just want to say that this is one of those moments where you can take it in either direction. You can either look at um, the French election on Sunday as somehow tied to what's going on here, or you can understand that or take a more specific view of things, uh, that they're all different political ecosystems in Europe. And there are some similarities, sure, to in the very broadest sense, what's been happening in, in this country. But the moment you step out of uh, the realm of uh, radical Islam and uh, the nationalism, at least nationalism, uh, nationalism as it's referred to in the context of secure borders, um, the, the moment that you start to look beyond that into the specifics of whether it's the Dutch economy, the French economy, the Swedish economy, the British economy, you're making some very broad generalizations. With what's going on here in this country, we there are some similar there are some things we can point out and say sure that's that's uh, one place where we can uh, draw parallels and r- immigration and radical Islam are the only places where I think you draw a a direct correlation because that's where you see the rise in uh, nationalist sentiment. I don't I think nationalist is a very imperfect word. I I, I don't really. Uh, I wish there was a, a, a way to call someone pro-sovereignty without saying that they were a nationalist. Um, having secure borders does not make you a nationalist. In fact, earlier this week, it didn't get a lot of uh, a lot of media play for obvious reasons. But in Canada, they have seen a surge in people crossing over from America seeking asylum status. I assume it is uh, illegal. Illegal aliens in America who cross over to Canada hoping to be able to establish a permanent residency in Canada. And the Canadians have some issue with this. And I just think it's fascinating to watch this play out because Canada is a very, you got Justin Trudeau, Mr. Slick GQ, leftist Canadian prime minister. And you have all of these uh, people who assume that Canada is so open arms and effectively open borders. And it's just not. Yeah, sure, they've taken a, a decent number of refugees. It's a much smaller country by population than America. So as a percentage, it's pretty, uh, it is pretty substantial. Uh, but they have a point system for immigrants. 
they they you can go on their website and you can find out about why they bring people in, what they look for, education, your assets, financial assets. Uh, th- those are all things that go into a formula to decide whether or not you can become a Canadian. Uh, whereas in this country, we have a system that's primarily based on family ties. We have chain migration. So if someone is here and they want to sponsor relatives, those relatives go to the front of the line. Now, I'm sure there are some exceptions in this, depending on what your status may be. And you know, immigration law is a specialization that, that I don't have. Um, but I do know that chain migration is first and foremost. Th- that's at the very top of our immigration uh, pyramid. And that's the way that we do things here. So we look at the French, but back to the French election. I just want to talk about Canada for a second because, eh, Canada, why not? Um, But the French election is getting a lot of attention from us uh, because it is also viewed in some at some level, not just as a possible uh, a a possible tie to the American Trumpism that is now has now given us our administration. But also on top of that, you have the radical Islam factor, which I do believe was part of Trump's rise. I think that was an area where he seemed uh, more in touch with a majority of the American people than Hillary Clinton did. Uh, The polling, it was fascinating to watch this play out during the general election. I remember a few times, and this is just off the top of my head, but where Trump would say something about Islamic terrorism and, and they'd the the media, especially CNN and MSNBC, would do a whole 24 hours on oh, Trump's Islamophobia. Then they'd run a poll and they'd find out, no, actually, people are kind of OK with the way Trump speaks about the threat of, of uh, jihadist terrorism. Uh, they they prefer someone who just says what we all instinctively know and, and are aware of based on what's happening in the news. So that was a very powerful way that Trump was able to connect with voters. Um, that was sure on, on immigration as well, but it, it was, I think it wasn't a John McCain who had the Straight Talk Express, which was not build the dang wall, um, which was not really straight talk. Is McCain is somebody who I, I'm not really sure what his political philosophy is, um, other than to sometimes leave Republicans high and dry. Uh, but it was Trump who was speaking to people about issues the way they speak to other people about it. That's how you had a billionaire who was getting the votes of lots of people who make a living with their hands. You know, this is how uh, machinists and uh, truck drivers and farmers and you name it were like, Trump Trump speaks my language. They were right. He does. He just speaks in a straightforward, unpretentious fashion. Now, the media says that he's some sort of a blundering, blustering idiot, of course, but the sentiments that he expressed on some of those key issues just connected with people. Because unless you've been indoctrinated against this, unless you think yourself really fancy and a and a, a Vanity Fair reading, almond, almond milk latte drinking, uh, progressive Brooklynite with an indoor scarf and, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to get the, the really nail down the stereotype here. And uh, unless you're in that category, when someone says, you know, we really have to when we're talking about terrorism, we have to focus on the threat of Islamic terrorism or jihadism. You just go, yeah, well, of course, because look at the French. And what do you think would happen if somebody stood up? And this is true in this country as well. But I'm just saying in the context of France, if someone stood up at a at a town hall right now in Paris and they said, well, you know, we, we really shouldn't be worried about. Uh, Islamic terrorism 
because there's other forms of terrorism that are just that are just as bad. Uh, look at a- Anders uh, Breivik in Norway or Timothy McVeigh in America. They'd probably get booed. Everybody in the room would think, "Who is this? Who is this imbecile?" All right, we've had Charlie Hebdo. We've had the Bataclan massacre. We've had the Nice truck massacre. All jihadist murder sprees. And now, of course, they've had another incident. And I'm not even including some of the more minor incidents that were also, you know, Allahu Akbar, I'm doing this for the Islamic State. This is not a, a manufactured controversy. This is this is not a uh, a lack of balance in the media. It's not right-wing extremism or xenophobia or anything else. It's just a recognition of where the primary threat comes from on this issue. And can we just speak about that? And I think that also everyone is is sick, and this is true, I could say in France or I could say in uh, in America, although I don't know if how indoctrinated the, the French left. You've got a socialist, you've got a communist who's running in France, you've got socialists. Currently the president's Francois Hollande, he's uh, a socialist. So, of course, there are in both societies there are people that have been conditioned to suppress common sense— and to say, oh no, the, the the real threat of terrorism is from uh, you know right wing extremists who who don't believe in in universal health care or something, right? There are still there are still people who will say that, of course, large numbers of them, unfortunately. But enough people have come over to the side of common sense. Enough people have said enough uh, enough is enough that it may have an effect on the outcome in. France. Now, now you get into the, the trouble, though, of the specificities of French politics. You have the uh, the National Front uh, with Marine Le, Le Pen. We say here, I think it's Le Pen, but anyway, Le Pen is the American is Americanized way of saying it, and she's viewed as uh, far right, and or is far right. And then you have François Fillon. I'm getting very French here, uh, who is a center right. Uh, Republican, most likely to be, uh, I, I, I th- well, actually, no, the polling is, is razor thin. Right? I was going to say, I think that's the most likely candidate on the right to win, um, uh, but we'll see. Um, Fillon had a scandal in which he was accused of using public funds to pay his wife and his adult children for fake jobs. That's That's a problem. That's usually not helpful right before an election. Uh, but as I said, you can take the very... 30,000-foot bird's-eye-view snapshot of what's going on politically in France and then Europe and then America, and there's there's comparisons to be drawn here, but you just have to be aware of the differences and the political idiosyncrasies that are also at play. On immigration, you have the French, who are, of course, as a Western European society, they tend to be very, uh, very liberal in their attitudes about a whole bunch of things. And I have to generalize here. There's no way around it. I, I know there's hard right French nationalist people that don't want anyone to come in. And there are people on the left who are communists uh, in France still. But in general, the, the French would have an attitude of internationalism, uh, of sophistication. And they think of themselves. I mean, I've been to France many times. I mean, they think of themselves as a, as a sophisticated culture with good reason. Uh, and so they have a welcoming attitude to outsiders, but they have a welcoming attitude as long as the outsiders become French. That's always been the sticking point. That's always been where there can be a problem. Um, And it's interesting to see a European country that is going through these issues and these problems 
And then here in America, we think, oh, well, you know, Europe, we're, 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 we're ahead of them on this. We still got time. We're America. We can't even agree that America, uh, that uh, Americans should all be in favor of a secure border. We can't, we can't even agree that uh, English should be the official language in this country. A lot, a lot of this is uh, still a contentious issue. You know, every time I, I go and vote and I here in New York City and I see the ballot and it has uh, English, Spanish, definitely Mandarin. And I think there was one other language on the ballot. I'm like, what? what? We're no, we're not all we're not all on the same page here, I guess, in a sense, literally with English being the official language. Nope, it's not. Uh, and these are discussions that we couldn't even have before. They're having the discussion in France. They're having discussion here in America. And uh, radical Islam is one place where it brings together security, borders, sovereignty, rule of law, and the culture of political correctness that prevents an open and honest discussion of all of those things. People just want to be able to talk about this stuff and not lose their jobs, their reputations, be shunned, be kicked out of the public square. That's what they would like to see. Uh, in in France, if you have uh, Fillon, uh, François Fillon, I'm sorry, I'm getting uh, very it's fond of speaking the French. Uh, if you have François Fillon, he wins, and then maybe there'll be a right a rightward tilt for that government. It'll be interesting to see what that means also for the broader EU. Uh, it was rightly said, I forget who said it, that Angela Merkel was last year. National European nationalism's woman of the year because people saw what happened when you bring in a million refugees, especially from one region of the world that does not easily assimilate into Western European culture, does not speak the language. There are problems. And you know who pays for those problems? Not just the taxpayer, of course. That's problem. That's part one. Part two are those who aren't able to live in the more expensive parts of town. And so they share their schools now with uh, with people who have a, a, bring a lot of problems. And it's not to be inhumane or uncaring about it. I know, of course, you can always be accused of that. But if people want to play that game, I say, well, why not just allow anybody who wants to come into the country to come into the country? Oh, but, but then I want to pay no taxes. Because then I have no, because if we have no sovereignty, then the state has no real control. And if the state's not going to have real control over everybody else, they're not going to have control over me and my pocketbook and my property and my freedom. So the whole thing begins to devolve very quickly unless you have an established uh, unless you have established borders, established rules for who comes and goes. And also you're willing to look at security threats based on what they are, not what you might wish they were in a leftist liberal. We are one world. We can all just dance. Oh, the music's on. That's we're getting. uh, That means I got to go into the next thing. Okay, fine. Right-wing French presidential candidate Marine Le Pen uh, spoke on the Paris attack, which was exactly what we all thought it was from the first moments it happened. A, a, uh, a jihadist, uh, radicalized a Muslim, killed a uh, killed a police officer, wounded two others, had an had a Kalashnikov, uh, was firing at a police car. We, we it's a, it's amazing more people weren't killed, more police officers weren't killed, um, given. That clearly this individual did not have, uh, thankfully, did not have any tactical proficiency and, and was not uh, well-trained in terrorist uh, uh, terrorist tradecraft. Um, but you know, this is just one of those 
one of those moments where uh, you're you mourn the loss of an officer, and those fellow officers hopefully will, will recover quickly, and you think about what could be done to prevent the next one. Uh, here's what the uh, nationalist candidate Marine Le Pen said about this play clip 89, please. My feeling is that nothing is being done and our citizens are not safe. We need a plan to fight Islamist terrorism with new measures and with borders and to fight the ideology that is at the root of all of this. Specifics on that would be nice because we've all heard for some time that we need uh, we need to do more about uh, radical Islam. I uh, I wonder what Marine Le Pen has in mind, especially when you look at radicalization of those who are French citizens and who were born in France, which is in many cases what we've seen. Im- immigration control can only be one piece of a much Larger and very complicated puzzle. So we'll see. Uh, Tim in California on KEIB. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Freestyle Friday. Good to should, have you. Should we have values testing for immigrants and Tim Callum carrying for U.S. President, U.S. Senate, and U.S. House Best Major Candidate, T.I.M. Space K.A.L. All right. All right. All right. Don't, don't do that. I don't like that. You can call and we can talk, but this isn't, uh, this isn't the free advertising hour on the Buck Sexton Show. Um, he asked a question, which I will answer. Can we have values testing for uh, can we have values testing for immigrants? We, we have had it in the past. One thing that was particularly interesting, I think, about the recent discussions on radical Islam and extreme vetting, a term the administration has used, uh, President Trump has used many times. Um, and that that people thought that, well, you can't have an ideological test for entry in the United States. That's unconstitutional. False, actually. In fact, we've had plenty of, uh, we have lo- many cases uh, or many instances uh, in the law, previously in immigration law, of we don't want anarchists, we don't want communists, we don't want people that are seeking to overthrow the United States government. That seems reasonable, don't you think? And by the way, uh, Donald Trump didn't specifically endorse any candidate, of course, for the French election, but he did tweet the following Another terrorist attack in Paris. The people of France will not take much more of this. Will have a big effect on presidential election. I wonder if that is true. Um, given the horrific terrorist attacks that the French have suffered the last 18 months, which I've been talking to you about, I am uh, not sure that this most recent event will change many minds. I know the timing of it, of course, is is mere days from the election and so timing does matter but uh, already you'd have to assume that there are a lot of people in france that are wondering when are we going to get a handle on this issue and what can we do so that we're not subject to uh, more of these kinds of attacks especially if they're using uh, immigration as a means of entry or the, the asylees coming in to Greece and then Germany, finding their way into France. That's been the concern. All right, uh, we'll talk about uh, some other stuff. I got to go to break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Team, I promise it's going to be plenty of real analysis, news, everything from the day, and also some fun stuff because it's Friday And I therefore cannot leave out that it is 
action movie quote Friday. Hit it. Action. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Movie. Smooth to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. If you want to bring it to the action movie quote master, 844-900-2825. Let's see what you got. And of course, we can always talk about an action movie if you want as well after you give me the quote because that's going to happen. Uh, I've been taking some notes on on holes in my action gaps in my action movie quote knowledge. I'm going to catch up. Don't you don't you worry. Those of you who are like, yeah, yeah, you 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 can always get me with some of the older stuff. But uh, you know, and Charles Bronson is also a weak spot for me. I know, I know, I need to take care of that, but I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, one note before we got lines lighting up here left and right, but I just wanted to say that. Uh, this is today, uh, courtesy, or no, I'm sorry, yesterday, courtesy of producer, producer Amy, um, uh, becoming an Australian citizen, this is for NBC News, is about to get tougher as the country plans a major shakeup of its immigration process, including a new test of values. <gasps> oh my gosh. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull on Thursday, by the way, I would just... All of you that are thinking right now, it's like, I'm going to go test out my Australian accent after hearing this story. Australian accents are very recognizable, but I will tell you as somebody who has belly flopped on radio trying them in the past, tough to do. You know, people are just, oh, good eye, mate, you know, and like beyond that. And they really actually sound more cockney than Australian in terms of the accent. Um, but anyway, Australian accents, you know, Australian accents, uh, very hard to pull off. But becoming an Australian citizen, forget about the accent, is difficult as well. They have a new values test. And Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull uh, has said that or or is pushing for rules, has announced rules, not pushing for, that you have to live in Australia to to have lived in Australia for four years up from one before you can apply for citizenship. Also, he's raising the standard of English required and... uh, that you have to also have a civics test that judges whether people will accept, quote, Australian values. Oh, my gosh, Australia is so racist. Oh, gosh, what are we going to do? They're so racist in Australia. Oh, good heavens. We we just need, like, Samantha B and we need The Daily Show, and we need John Oliver to talk about how racist the, racist the Australians are now with their tests. It makes me so sad. Uh, yeah. Australia is tightening up the uh, rules here for citizenship. They're going to be tested on knowledge of law and national symbols. And also, they will be asked questions that will assess how migrants have assimilated, such as whether they send their children to school or they have a job. You mean we're going to start, they're going to start, and we, hmm, look at that, Freudian slip. You mean they're going to start picking people based on how quickly and how effectively and how uh, they can contribute because immigration is supposed to benefit the citizens of the country already there. It's not supposed to be a giant jobs program and soup kitchen for the third world. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Australia is so racist. I'm just funny. Everyone I know who goes to Australia loves it. And I, I, I've, I don't even know if I've ever met a mean Australian. I kind of like all the Australians I've ever met. You see, you can generalize in a nice way and people are okay with that. You know? So I can say that I, I like all Australians. Um, I don't know if I can get away with saying that Swedish people are lovely, but not usually funny. I don't know. I might get some angry Swedish emails, but see, it depends on the generalization you can, you can get away with. All right. Uh, every line is lit. So let's, let's get into some 
of these calls here. Uh, who who was first? Everyone, uh, Maggie in Mississippi on WBUV. Good to have you. Welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you, Buck. Shield time. Shield time, Maggie. I I have a quick question for you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we all know that Obamacare has flopped. Um, and now it's not even considered Obamacare. It's the Affordable Care Act. Um, my question is, would it have been better if he would not have left it up to the states to expand Medicaid for those of us that can't afford the premiums? Because we work, you know, part-time jobs and we can't really, and we get paid every two weeks and we have all the bills that we have to pay on top of trying to pay for insurance. Would it have been better if he would have expanded Medicaid across the board instead of leaving it up to the state? He tried to. That was the original law, Maggie. That was what the Supreme Court in the Obamacare decision decided against the law. Originally, the Obamacare law said everyone has to expand Medicaid, and the Supreme Court uh, came back and said, no, that's overly coercive to the states. It's uh, a violation of the Tenth Amendment because they were already getting federal funds, and they were told, if you don't spend more of your money— or, or at least, and it was going to be a sliding scale of more federal money, and then it would phase into more state money. So it's a, a sleight of hand uh, going on as well. But if you didn't expand Medicaid, they were going to pull all federal funds, and the and the uh, Supreme said you can't you can't do that, right? You you can't have a a uh, a partnership with states to provide health care for their residents who are also U.S. citizens and entitled to all the protections of federal law, and then be like, well, if you don't do what we say, we're going to pull all your federal funds on that just because. That remember, that's a matter of policy. Uh, not a, not a question of say enforcing uh, federal criminal law. So they that was where they. Uh, so to, to answer your question, Obama actually wanted to do that. Um, but I think what you're getting at as well is that there are people, and this is this is that you don't who you don't hear enough about. There are people who make too much for a Medicaid expansion in their state and don't get a subsidy for the Obamacare premiums they have to pay because it's based on how much they make, and they are paying subsidies that are. Uh, really hurting them, hurting their bottom line and their ability to pay their bills. Uh, and they're paying it so they can subsidize the people who are getting a subsidy. Uh, and we're talking about people that are, I mean, depending on the state and, and how they're breaking down via income, but these are middle-class working people. So it really depends on where you are in the, you know, how far above the poverty line or how many times above the poverty line, a better way to put it, are you? And that's what affects whether or not you are getting a slightly better deal with Obamacare or a terrible because if you're forced onto an Obamacare plan and you're not getting a subsidy, you're getting a you're getting a terrible deal. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. My whole thing is I make I make six hundred dollars a month. And I have tried for the Obamacare stuff. And I've even tried for Medicaid, but of course in the state of Mississippi, Medicaid did not expand. Right. Um, I was formerly on Medicaid. I actually have, I've been a cancer survivor. I'm 23 years old. I've had two brain tumors. Oh my gosh. Well, Maggie, I'm, uh, I'm happy that you were able to, you're able to pull through. That's, that's, uh, my, my, um, well, uh, you, and I had both of them, both of them by the, t- by the time I turned eight, I've been in remission since 2001. I've been in remission for 16 years. Oh, God and bless. Good. I am not able to get the medical attention that I need to get, that I'm supposed to get every year, 
because I cannot afford insurance. Well, this is this is see, Maggie. This is where a truly a, a truly open market in in healthcare would mean that there would also be a pool for. I, I believe that most insurance would probably treat what you've dealt with as, a, I, and I don't know. It depends on the insurer and everything else, but it might be considered a pre-existing condition, or you, it might be what would go into a high-risk pool, uh, and that should be it, it should be very doable. But if you allowed everybody to pay, if you allowed everybody to get the insurance policy they'd want to get without having to pay for all the extra stuff. Then there would also be enough political will and focus to do a high-risk pool properly, and then hopefully people that do have very serious uh, medical issues would be able to get the care they need. But Maggie, I've uh, I've, I've got to leave it there for now. But thank you for calling in and, and shields high. Um, Mason in Ohio, WWVA. Good to have you. Hi, hi, Buck. It's, it's by the way, it's Nathan. <laughs> oh, Nathan, N A T H A N. Okay, close enough. Yes. <laughs> Well, I got two things. One, a movie quote for you, if you don't mind me trying your knowledge. The last quote is, um, if she stopped hooking, I'd stop killing people. You know what movie that's from? Um, no. <laughs> Payback with Mel Gibson. Uh, I, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, yeah, that's an action movie. I didn't, I saw it. I, I don't remember because I didn't really like it very much. But anyway, I, I heard Mel Gibson's uh-huh. newest movie, by the way, Hacksaw Ridge, is fantastic. People I I trust I say it's really good. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to watch it tonight while when I bunk down for like some truck driver. But um, my thing is, you know how everybody's been complaining about Trump not releasing his tax reports. What about the Congress and senators and stuff like that who get paid if? Correct me if I'm wrong. Get four hundred thousand a year, but they make millions every year. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, co- members of Congress—they uh, don't make. They make four hundred thousand. Uh, the, the president makes four hundred thousand dollars a year. Members of Congress, they, they it changes, but it's something like a hundred and seventy, I think. Depending, and, and you, if you're on committees, I think you make a little more, but it's public record. Um, but they—they they right. did exempt themselves from Obamacare, by the way, which right. th- we we should have. I mean. You know, metaphorically speaking, the American people should have been torches and pitchforks over that one. We should have been really upset, uh, but that was not what happened. So, because if Obamacare is fine and Nancy Pelosi says it's good health care and it's great and everyone's going to love it and pass it to see what's in it, they should have to live with it too. But they did not; they exempted themselves from it. So, yeah, I had to take a job driving truck, leave my family with three little kids at home, be on the road two, three weeks at a time just to make a living to pay for insurance for them. You know, yeah, yeah, you're 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 paying their salaries, but they they don't, you know, we don't hold Congress accountable enough, unfortunately. A lot of people don't like Congress, but like their individual congressman or congresswoman, and I think that's uh, that can often be very short sighted. Um, but Nathan, Matt, thank you for uh, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Shields high. Um, his point, by the way, about how they don't disclose their taxes. I could look do. I'm sure there are financial disclosures that uh, people on the Hill have to do. I know there are for some of the federal agencies, but I got to look into that. Um, eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. Anything you want to talk about? Lines are open. Freestyle Friday, and we'll be back right after this break. Lines are lit, Team Buck. Um, also, by the way, if you have not already, please go check out BuckSexton.com. Site is up and running. I'm writing. We've got the team in here posting throughout the day, uh, and we're going to be co- collecting emails there to put out a uh, a newsletter, Freedom Hunt newsletter. It's going to take us some time to get that off the ground, but we're working on it. And eventually, yes, there will be merchandise, T-shirts, and fun stuff like that. And I can't do all that without introducing you all to the wonderful character known as Commie Bear. Some of you are listening are like, what's that? You could Google it, but you'll 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 find out. 
it, that'll happen on the show soon. We're just we're just slow. We're slowly making sure that everybody gets to know what we do day in and day, day in and day out in the hut before we get really things get really crazy in here. Um, all right, Ryan in Virginia. Uh, great to have you, sir. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, Buck, uh, I've got a movie quote for you. All right, let's. All right, here goes. What are we gonna do now, man? Oh, Aliens, obviously. That's Bill Paxton, may he rest in peace. Aliens is a fantastic movie. I take it as both action and sci-fi. I believe it is cross-category. One of, I mean, That might be like top 10 action movies for of all time for me. My, my brothers, who are action true action movie aficionados. Did we lose him? He left? Oh, okay. Bye. Thanks for hanging out, though. Um, I guess he hung up. Uh, don't, just because we hit the bell doesn't mean you have to go. Um I, I think they would agree with me that Aliens is probably is, is top 10 action movie territory. But I think at some point, maybe in the summer, we'll switch over. We'll do like comedy comedy quotes or something, too. But for now, we're staying with action movie because action movies are all about America. You know, you think about action movies, it's America. Uh, but Aliens or I, in this case, I suppose a uh, a planet far, far away in a galaxy no one's ever visited because, you know, there's these aliens that are spitting acid at people and it's pretty nasty aliens is great though alien 3 not so good i think there was even alien 4 and there's a, a movie predator versus aliens which you would think based on the excellence of aliens and the fantastic predator predator 2 not so good with uh danny glover uh but predator 1 phenomenal movie but the the, the mashup did not work i find most mashups do not work that superman versus batman thing was like a form of torture it was completely unacceptable I, I love superhero stuff i i like i you know brings me back to uh no i was gonna say it brings me back when i'm a kid that's total nonsense I, I like superhero movies right now i'm not that's right i'm not ashamed of it i love superhero movies but some of them are not so good um kelly in florida on the iheart app what do you got hey how you doing good sir how are you doing all right um you bringing up the point of People are saying it's unconstitutional for the to let in what uh, Trump done as far as the letting the illegals in, or not illegals, but the immigrants from other countries, Syria and all that. Um, the Constitution doesn't cover them. The Constitution covers Americans. No, and Kelly, this is a huge problem because when you have these judges, these circuit court judges that are saying that foreigners have the right to challenge their ability to come into this country, that's that's establishing rights for non-citizens that non-citizens just do not have. The president can exclude any class of non-citizens from entry into this country for any national security reason he or she deems. That is that, that is just a fact. That is the law. And they are undermining the law with that and giving rights to not... By the way, you also see this, Kelly, with some of the uh, radical transparency... Uh, WikiLeaks folks and uh, the Snowden, the Snowden crowd, they say, "Oh, well, look what we're look look at this uh, program we're going to talk about, or look at that disclosure we're going to talk about." And it's like, look, it, foreigners don't have constitutional rights when it comes to privacy. So I, I don't really, I don't really care what's going on in the rest of the world. Right, I agree with you a hundred percent on that, and I, that's why I was saying that you know that's a somebody says, "Well, it's unconstitutional not to let them in." They have no constitutional rights. They're not Americans. I, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's... We the people of the United States, you know. It doesn't say we the people of the world. It says we the people of the United States. These are our rights, not everybody's rights. Yeah, I know, but one of the ways that the, the, progressive, the progressive left uh, undermines sovereignty in this country is by 
ex- extending extending the rights of citizenship to everybody because then what's the point, right? And, and what's the difference? Another question. But Kelly Shields, hi, man. Thank you very much for calling in. Um, let's get uh, – well, I'll, actually, I'm going to go – well, what do we have here? Blaine in Arizona on KOY. Blaine, how you doing? Good. How you doing, bud? Good, sir. I just wanted to ask your opinion. I don't know if you heard about it ever. It was a conspiracy theory that was kind of going around during the election. It was called Pizzagate. It revolved around the Podesta brothers. And yeah. Their, uh, supposed, I wonder if you had done any research into it, if you thought there was any kind of merit behind it or if it was all Every, everything, I, everything I've seen about it is that it is, it is held up as the paramount example of completely fake news without any substantiation whatsoever. So I, ha- I, I if I see anything else... Um, you know, I, I would certainly be willing to talk about it, but everything I've seen is that it's is that it's totally not. I think even the guy who went in and like shot the ceiling or whatever, and the he's even been like, "Yeah, I was wrong. Sorry, my bad." A little late for that, but um, yeah, no, there's been I've seen nothing with that at all. Um, but did yeah. you, have you ever seen it on a, on a, on a nor? Have you ever seen any actual news site that's covered it as anything other than a conspiracy? I haven't. I know uh, Ben Swan was a reporter that covered it. He was a uh, part of a CBS hired after covering that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know Ben Swam, but that, that doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like there's much substantiation there. So, but Blaine, it's, Oh yeah. Hey man, Blaine, any questions, any good faith questions, always welcome here in the hub, man. So I, I appreciate you giving me a ring and hope you have a fantastic weekend. Shields high. Um, we're going to be joined by uh, some fun guests coming up here later on the show, talking more politics. Oh, there's a Vanity Fair piece on Chelsea Clinton. I'm going to have to get into that one. Vanity Fair. Oh, it's so fancy. But, you know, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy it. Trust me. And uh, we'll get to that. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. Buck. Sexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Shields High. Welcome back, everybody. We've got Michael Goodwin on the line. He is a New York Post columnist and a Fox News contributor. Michael, great to have you, sir. Thank you, Buck. Uh, so let's talk a bit about the uh, the upcoming week in, in politics here. I've got the political piece in front of me. It says the White House is making demands that that are disrupting the shutdown negotiations for the government. Uh, where is this all going? Well, look, I, I, it's hard. It's hard to know because so much of what's happening is being done in secret, um, and it's clear that there is a lot of division within the Republican Party. I think particularly in the House, but also between the House and the Senate, and and involving the White House probably in both. I mean. I'm struck by the fact that uh, this talk of trying to bring back Obamacare uh, for the repeal vote uh, seems to be focused almost exclusively on the House. And the last time the Senate warned the House, we, we, we won't even consider the bill that you were talking about. So I'm not sure that anything is going to get done in the short term. Um, and look, this all plays into Democratic hands. This all makes the Republicans look as though they can't govern. So I I think they really ought to get their act together pretty soon. And certainly the president wants to be able to point to something within the first hundred days. But the clock is ticking. Trump said today, according to the Associated Press here, that he's going to release a tax reform package next week 
that he says will be bigger, I believe, than any tax cut ever. And it will be a massive tax cut that will be for individuals and businesses. That seems like a lot. Do you have any insight into what the, is this going to happen? Well, look, uh, they may release something, but I don't know. Again, I'm I'm sort of confused by this because just recently Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, said they wouldn't be able to get it done by August. Now, I guess he meant passage, but if they're releasing it now and it's so great, you would think they would be able to pass it by August. So uh, this seems to me to be mixed signals. On taxes, I think that the Look, the bigger it is, the harder it is, because there's going to be so many objections. And uh, some people have made a very smart uh, idea, I think, which is that do the corporate as a standalone. And for the purpose, for the reason that there's more agreement that the corporate rate has to be cut. And it's on the personal rate and all the personal exemptions where you run into the trouble of of not just among Democrats, but among Republicans, too. So I, I think this uh, this idea that everything in Washington has to be big now. I mean, all the bills are omnibus, omnibus bills. They're huge. They're hundreds, if not thousands of pages long. I, I really think that if Washington is going to simplify its government and make it more accessible and understandable to the average American – they got to do these things in bite size because another debate over taxes that involves the corporate versus uh, the personal income tax is going to become so confusing. One will be held hostage to another. I, and same with immigration. All those different parts in the immigration bills that they keep trying to pass, I really think that they would make things easier for themselves and, and keep the public engaged if they would do them in, in in bite-sized portions that are easier to understand. Yeah, I think the incremental approach on a lot of these issues uh, would also would show would show that there is movement. It would allow people to understand what is happening, and it also would prevent what I th- what I think happened with the health the first attempt at health care, which was there was a lot of talking out of both sides of uh, different politicians' mouths. There, you know, you had, oh, we have to do this because of reconciliation. Well, actually, no, it doesn't have to be through that mechanism because of reconciliation. We have to do it, and then we'll do taxes. No, we're going to do you know there there and also. There was so much that was being changed at one point in time that it gave a lot of people, I think, uh, concerns about what the health care bill would have looked like had they passed it. And also, you couldn't really get much of a focus. I mean, what what were they selling? They weren't selling repeal and replace. They were selling a phase one of three approach to get something done. That that just isn't compelling. Right. And, and look, I, I think Paul Ryan really damaged himself in that process. Uh, he apparently told the president he would have the votes. The president accepted that, and then he didn't. And from my reading of what was going on, Buck, uh, at the very end, they weren't even close to the 216 or the 218. I forget how many they needed at that point, depending on the the seats that were open. But they weren't close. I mean, it wasn't just the Freedom Caucus, because as they apparently – tried to bring in more members of the Freedom Caucus, they lost some others that they had already had and they were already counting on. So they may have had they may have been twenty votes short. Now, once it looks weak, people are going to abandon it. 
but they never got within that that short narrow window where everybody felt that they had to stampede to to be for it because they would be left at the station otherwise. And so I I think Paul Ryan proved to be a, not a good leader on a crucial issue. So I I don't know what has changed that a he would be able to do health care now or b that he'll be able to deliver a tax package. We're speaking to Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Uh, Michael, we talked about uh, at the start of the show, French uh, elections for president on Sunday. Uh, Donald Trump has weighed in with a tweet, not for a specific candidate, but just tying the recent terrorist attack in Paris to uh, an impact on the French election. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think he's right. I think it. Um, he said that it probably will help Le Pen in a uh, in an interview with the Associated Press today. Uh, again, without endorsing her, uh, but saying that she was the strongest on borders and immigration. So it, 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 you know, Buck, it reminds me of two other things. First is Brexit, and second is, of course, Trump himself being elected. And in both cases, or all three cases now, what you have is an establishment, including the media, the government, and big business. They, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And yet, meanwhile, I think people in the street, Uh, In Brexit, they did not like the economic system. They did not like the immigration system. So they wanted to leave the European Union, and they're going to get their wish. Uh, We we got Trump in the United States, despite the great advice of all the sages in both parties and the media, of course, and big business even. And And in France, the same thing with Le Pen. I mean, she has been talking for a long time about immigration and terrorism. And the the latest attack in Paris, the assassination of the police officer and the wounding of two others, uh, just proves that the French have not been able to to control this. I mean, they are operating under a state of emergency since the Bataclan slaughter, uh, which I believe was November of uh, 2015, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, so they they still are having these attacks despite a, a state of emergency, almost a permanent state of emergency. And just one more quick point, virtually every time after one of these attacks in Europe, as has happened in the United States, we find out later that the, there was some surveillance of the person. They were known to uh, the intelligence or police authorities, and that was true in the attack on the police officers in Paris. They, this guy was described as a known extremist. Well, uh, you know, that, that is a knock on the government, and that may well come back uh, to play a, a big part in the election on Sunday. One more quick one for you, Michael, before we let you get started with your weekend. If you if you have to give a grade, uh, you can go one out of 10 or you can go, you know, ABCD uh, for the administration on policy in its first 100 days. What is it? Well, uh, I gave him I gave President Trump a B average for the first 50 days. Um, I think the 100 is no better. And maybe it's a B minus. Um, uh, that was before the health care debacle and everything. I think the president um, has hit a wall and he's got to and it's essentially it's Congress. And he's got to figure out how to make things, how to get things through Congress. It's a Republican Congress. I think the, the, the great achievement is Gorsuch uh, the, and the, the sense that he is really trying to fulfill his campaign promises but he, he needs – I think he needs a stronger team around him. I think he's shorthanded. Uh, I think the infighting has made it more difficult. So I think uh, the second 50 days have probably not been as good as the first 50 And sorry, I know I said last one, but I just want to – Bannon, because I know you wrote about Bannon recently. You think he's going to stay? Uh, look, I think he should stay. 
I don't know what the president's going to do. When I spoke to the president about it, he was certainly it certainly had the uh, gave me and many other people the impression that he was uh, not long for the for that world. But I think Bannon should stay. I think that there's nobody else quite like him in this White House that represents the segment of the Trump constituency that Bannon does. So I think losing Bannon would uh, would weaken the president among the very many of the very people who elected him. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Check out his latest on either foxnews.com or the newyorkpost.com. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Have a great weekend. Uh, always a pleasure, Buck. Thank you. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. Team, are, are are you not entertained, Maximus? I mean, let's see what you got on the action quotes. Come on, bring it or anything or serious policy matters. And just because it's Friday doesn't I mean we can't have a, a serious conversation. We always do. All of the above. Um, let's talk about free speech. That's always fun. Right after this break, I'll be back. Taking a uh, a mulligan here for a second. That earlier caller who asked me about disclosures of taxes for those in, in Congress. Essentially, do, why, why don't members of Congress disclose their tax returns? If it's why, why can't we see that? They're all demanding it from President Trump. And the answer is very few, at least from the most recent McClatchy uh, breakdown of this that I could see online. Very few members of Congress do it. A vast majority. Hundreds of them do not disclose their taxes. Uh, I, and now I think maybe it was for 2013. I have the, That's the most recent year I could find in the break. Um, but I'm sure it hasn't changed. So, yeah, members of Congress do not disclose their tax returns. We should ask why. I, I, I think they should. If, if it's so important for the president, members of Congress, why not? What do they have to hide? What's the problem? I think you should put it in there. So I, I do think that's an interesting uh, interesting point that the gentleman made. I just got caught on uh, the uh, the actual salaries that they make, which is irrelevant. Oh, how, how much? Let me, let me find out right now. How much do members of Congress make. And I will tell you right now, it is, oh, I was close, uh, 174000 a year. I think I said 178000 So there you go. Bam. Close. Even when I think I'm not right, I'm, there's a good chance I'm right. Uh, or at least close to it. Uh, Berkeley, the throwdown with Coulter. Looks like it's going to happen. You got the Berkeley Chancellor making a statement on this one. Ms. Coulter's announcement that she intends to come to this campus on April 27th without regard for the fact that we do not have a protectable venue available on that date is of grave concern. Last night, I asked my staff to look beyond the usual venues we use for large public gatherings. Fortunately, that expanded search identified an appropriate protectable venue that is available on the afternoon of May 2nd. Um, but Coulter doesn't want to go on that day. I think also school is done. So they that's that's a part of this as well. Uh, so, oh, wait, well, you don't have to listen to me. Listen to Ann. You cannot impose arbitrary um, and harassing restrictions on the exercise of a constitutional right. I don't happen to be available on May 2nd to pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars in rescheduled, rebooked hotel rooms, flights for me, my security, my guests. Um, was Vincenti Fox required to reschedule randomly? She's making a very good point here. Why? That's that's nonsense. This is pretending that they're not changing the game on her when they clearly are. Uh, they're 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 acting like they're offering a venue for her, and they are not. Um, or, or rather, they're acting like they're trying to accommodate free speech, but they're not. But you look around, 
and the level of stupidity on this issue. It is it should be mortifying to all Democrats how dumb the progressive left is on free speech or really forget about dumb. They're they're opposed to it. it. We're beyond they don't understand their hypocrisy on this issue of speech suppression to they are actively pro suppression of speech that they know this isn't that they don't get it or there's something they miss they are uh for the suppression of of free speech and that is uh troubling so i mean you have the washington post a headline here i I couldn't even believe this when i saw it sometimes the lefty papers on this stuff are so dumb that i worry that i'm reading a a hoax account this is real though this is a verified washington post account Here's the headline. Berkeley gave birth to the free speech movement in the 1960s. Now conservatives are demanding it include them. How is that a headline? Uh, conservatives are demanding it include them? Well, yeah, of course they are. You, you, you can't have a free speech movement unless it is for free speech Washington Post. I mean, this is the democracy dies in darkness paper. You'd think that they would be charging alongside conservatives up the hill on this one. But no, they are most certainly not. Uh, And you even have I'm trying to to pull up the specific uh, tweet as I'm here. I believe it was I I wanted to say Al Gore, but that's not right. It is. uh, Where did he where did he go? Well, as I said to you, the upside of free speech policies on campus is that young people a lot of them, I think, are quietly uh, realizing that the left is insane. So that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. Howard Dean. This is what I was looking for. Former chairman of the DNC, Howard Dean. Hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Um, uh, this is somebody who is uh, at one point was a likely nominee for Democrat, uh, Democrat presidential candidate. Um, and it, it's amazing. Uh, these these people are willing to throw speech under under the bus so quickly. They're willing to abandon free speech principles, and they do it openly. I mean, this is somebody who was going to be, you know, thought he was going to be president. Now, it's, uh, you know, hate speech. This is how the conversation goes. Hate speech is not free speech. But who gets to determine what hate speech is? Shut up, hateful fascist, or I'll punch you. It's not supposed to be like that. That's not how this goes. Uh, the determination. This is why, by the way, I oppose hate crime laws in general. Crimes are crimes. Hate crimes are not crimes, meaning that there's nothing different about a hate crime than a crime crime. If you attack somebody because you don't like their religion or the color of their skin, you have attacked a human being. You should be punished for that. Uh, because the problem is that, sure, you use the emotional impulse that we all have to want to punish. And maybe as a sentencing enhancement in some instances, I could see that it because it comes into mens rea, the state of mind of the attacker. But the problem with hate crime legislation is that they do try to extend it to non-crimes, meaning that all of a sudden now uh, you'll have a a swastika made of toilet paper. This was a real case in a school or a Koran flushed in a toilet. And over a, a shocking number of these are self-induced hate crimes, meaning, or, or they're, they're false, I guess you call them false flag hate crimes, where the person is doing it pretending to be hateful towards a group is actually from that group or is sympathetic to that group and is just trying to, quote, raise awareness by uh, a fake hate crime. Um, so by by creating the, the 
perception that this is a, a bigger problem than it is, which any normal person would stop and think, hold on, if I have to fake something to make it seem like it's more common than it is, maybe it's not that common. Maybe I should find something else to raise awareness about. Uh, but they are openly in favor of suppressing speech now, and it is just appalling. Um, and, and when I say they, I don't mean random internet bots. I'm talking about the leaders of the Democratic Party. All right, uh, Tom in California, KFNY. Movie quote, what do you got? Shields high, Buck. Shields high, Tom. Here we go. Uh, a lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing's important to men who do it well. When you're racing, it's life. Anything that happens before or after is just waiting. Days of Thunder? No. Le Mans. Le Mans, 1971, Steve McQueen. Ah, another one of the older movies. Oh, I don't even. Was that an action movie? Is that a. Is, is Car- well, it's, it's hard to stay in your seat when you're watching that movie. In fact, that was the first one that they really. I don't know. Uh, Tom, you're a good man and a patriot, but I, we might have to throw the flag on this one. A, a movie about car racing? I mean, is there an explosion that's not vehicular-induced or a gun that is fired at some point? No, there was explosions, but the only flag is a checkered flag, Buck. All right. I mean, look, I, I appreciate the effort and the time, Tom, but I don't know I don't know if a racing movie technically falls under the action the action nomenclature. I'm just I'm just trying to keep it real here. And I'm not I'm not sure we can sneak that one in, but We'll give it to you today because it's Friday and we like you, Tom. Thank you for calling in. Shields high. Um, 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. We'll talk some politics with my friend uh, Vince Colonese from The Daily Caller in a few minutes here. Uh, And uh, we'll get into that. And then also, oh, yeah, the Chelsea Clinton. We're going to have so much fun with that Chelsea Clinton article. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Get excited about that. And uh, also talk a bit about Venezuela, which will be pretty intense. Uh, We'll be right back. He's an ex-CIA officer who knows how to outsmart the enemies of liberty. But I do have a very particular set of skills. Buck Sexton with America Now. Team, your mission, should you choose to accept it, call the Freedom Hunt Operations Center. 888-900-BUCK. Make contact. Unless you're under hostile surveillance. 888-900-2825. All right, Team Buck, welcome back. We have our friend Vince Colonese on the line. He is the Daily Caller's editor-in-chief, the EIC, over at the D.C. Good to have you, Vince. Nice to be here again, Buck. Thank you. Uh, So you had uh, the head of Homeland Security, General Kelly, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions talking today about MS-13. I know you're following this. What's the plan? What are they saying for dealing with this incredibly violent uh, gang that— is still plaguing this country. Well, it's kind of amazing that for a problem that's been seemingly festering for years that nobody has really publicly said much about MS-13. And then all of a sudden now you've got the FBI placing uh, MS-13 members on the most wanted list. You have both Jeff Sessions and General Kelly standing sort of in unity that not only are they trying to get control of the border, but a rampant MS-13 problem. And that problem appears to be not only infecting sanctuary city areas, but just sort of general population areas around the country. I'm in Washington, D.C., and I remember as, early, as, as late as last week that there was uh, an MS-13 gang member on the loose somewhere between Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. And there are some truly violent crimes being committed. There was a, 
there was, I believe it was in Lynchburg, Virginia, about two weeks ago, there was a, a an MS-13 attack that resulted in a, a, a young man's body being left on the road and just completely just destroyed. The, the body itself was ceremony, ritually, ceremonially destroyed and, and in vicious, vicious ways and left roadside. And, you know, it's caused a lot of consternation, I think, among local communities that are affected by it. But it's the kind of thing that deserves much more attention, especially because they represent sort of a real, like, real threat of people who are in the United States already and not just some sort of – and not just like a, the terror threat, which ebbs and flows in terms of its severity. But, you know, MS-13 causing real violence in the United States. Now, it's, think, now you're seeing the commitment from the Trump administration to take it on. Well, I was going to ask you about that, the commitment, because establishing a, a focus on the prosecutorial side in and of itself will have ramifications and, and could help – uh, begin to dismantle and destroy this group as as a as a as an organized crime uh, entity. Uh, but have they gotten any specifics of policy beyond that? I mean, I know so they're going to be tightening up the border. Uh, are they working on task forces? Are they going to be implementing anything beyond just we're coming after you? It's, I mean, so far what I've what I've seen or heard is well, they're going after MS-13. Do we have any sense of how? Well, again, the most wanted list addition, I think, is one piece of evidence in terms of, you know, the, the FBI has to make sort of a, a judgment call about where they place people in the most wanted list and which priority they give to them. And they're beginning to, again, we give utmost priority to some of these MS-13 gang members who are in the United States. Um, I think the other component, as you mentioned, is definitely immigration enforcement. I mean, they just see it that that if, you know, with with lax immigration enforcement, that obviously begets bad actors who come in in those vehicles. And time and time again, we've heard sort of the counter cry from the left, which is that, you know, if you you can't just consider all illegals bad people. Well, no, of course not. But if they weren't here illegally, that particular action wouldn't have taken place. These vicious crimes that we've seen um, at the hands of illegal immigrants in some cases uh, certainly would not have occurred in the United States had they not been here to begin with. So I think that's why both General Kelly and General S- and Jeff Sessions have, have worked pretty tight, pretty hard on this issue, and they obviously think it's important enough that, you know, you haven't heard much from either of them in public, and all of a sudden, over the course of the last 72 hours, I've seen them everywhere. They're like a traveling roadshow. I mean, they're they're just appearing in interviews, and they're making making a strong case that immigration is now a, a renewed focus for them. I see here Caitlin Collins, one of your reporters at the Daily Caller, the White House correspondent, also friend of the show. Uh, has a piece up on DailyCaller.com right now that candidate Trump promised to terminate DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. President Trump says dreamers should, quote, rest easy. What's going on here? Well, it's, you know, there's been obviously, I think, conflicting signals. And this is one of those areas where I think President Trump's supporters want answers explicitly because they, they seem to get a sign from him during the campaign that he was going to be tough on illegal immigration, and that, in- that extends to President Obama's decision not to prosecute people under DACA, We're using what you and I refer to now as prosecutorial discretion, just like deciding certain crimes are probably not worth spending a lot of time on because they're low importance. Well, clearly, based on the conversation you and I have had over the last few minutes, these crimes, some of these crimes are sort of gateways for other much more serious crimes, um, illegal immigration, of course, begetting violence in, in, in these cases. And... This is why we need clarity from the White House. Every single time we've asked, um, it's been, well, we'll get back to you on that. We'll let you know more soon. I mean, including, you know, General Kelly, he's had, he's really needed to answer this question. How does he define a sanctuary city? Many of the cities 
that are wondering about whether or not they're going to lose funding feel like they don't have a clear definition of what it is to begin with. So I think the administration needs to both define sanctuary cities very specifically, specifically say how they're going to remove funding. We're beginning to see some of that. And also be very specific about how, when is DACA going to end. And if it isn't, like, let the public know. They deserve to. Big story today in the world of politics seems to be next week. <laughs> There's a bunch of things that happen next week, including the the 100-day marker is finally hit, well, next Saturday. Uh, but so next week there'll be a lot of retrospectives, I'm sure, so far on the Trump administration. I know Donald Trump has come out and said this is a weird and arbitrary line that people draw here why 100 days why not 90 days really which i think is fair by the way you know three months 90 days but 100 days they say uh but even even still it, it all seems like it's mostly a uh, a manu manufactured milestone by the media but i guess we've all got to play the game so what do you think is going to be coming up next week for trump well one i, I want to say something about that i do think donald trump the president has abetted the notion that the first 100 days are essential in his prior statements. I mean, he made so much ado about how much they were going to accomplish in 100 days. That's and, true. You know, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people do view the Trump administration through the lens of man, they they really seem to be moving all the time and accomplishing something. But I, you know, they haven't yet landed that big legislative achievement. And I think the president's a little disappointed in that, which is why we're hearing so much about healthcare being revived as an issue that they're going to approach legislatively by next Wednesday. They'd like to have a vote. And recall that the last time this bill went down, this, this, this Obamacare repeal and replace, it was on the day that, it was, that Obamacare originally came out. They allowed some sort of arbitrary ceremonial deadline to be the one that they wanted to get legislation out by. And again, it seems like the White House is sort of being dictated by the fact that they want to beat the 100-day deadline. And if you know, from my perspective, that should not be the goal of legislation. They should actually – be looking to create a good piece of legislation, one that has broad consensus, especially on the right, and pass it whenever it's ready and, you know, and, and just work on it. I mean, they have a lot to work on next week. They've got to keep the government open. If they can't get a spending bill passed by next Friday, we have a government shutdown. Maybe, maybe the president's fine with that. He doesn't seem to be too scared of it. Um, but there's a lot on their plate, and they need to get it, get it solved very quickly. I mean, next week, any chance for movement based on what you're hearing and seeing down there in D.C. Uh, on either health care or taxes? Trump is saying, I think he said today, big big things on taxes next week. That seems pretty definitive. Yeah, there's there's a lot of noises and signals. We don't have a clear piece of legislation, for instance, on health care, um, which you know is being negotiated by the House Freedom Caucus and others. Um, which is a good sign because the last time they rolled this thing out, it was sort of just dumped on everyone's laps and they were left debating it after it was public. And remember, the bill leaked last time. Right now, some details have leaked, but the, the text of the legislation is not out yet. Uh, so it appears that there seems to be some cooperation in coming up with something palatable before it's released to the public. Uh, I have no idea, given the fact that the first the first attempt failed, I have no idea what the, the um, chances are for another attempt on health care or, for that matter, uh, the spending bill or tax reform. So there's, there's just it seems like an awful lot to get to in a week's time. And by the way, you have uh, Daily Caller alumni and previous editor-in-chief Tucker Carlson moving from big chair at Fox News to biggest chair at Fox News. We wish him well, but inquiring minds want to know, when is Vince Colonese going to uh, get the Vince Colonese show going? Uh, well, I, this is my this is my best attempt at a book. I just come on and do your interviews and, and hope that I did okay. Dude, you're doing a phenomenal job, Vince. We love having you, man. Uh, look, have a great weekend. Uh, everybody listening should go check out latest in the Daily Caller, dailycaller.com. I have it marked in my browser, uh, my internet browser. You should, too. 
Vince Colonese, Editor-in-Chief. Thank you so much, sir. Good to have you. Thanks very much, Bob. Team, we are going to go into a break. We'd love to hear from you before we uh, start getting ready for our weekends here. Maybe you're all, maybe you're already ready for the weekend because everybody's working for it. 844-900-2825. 844-900-2825. We'll be right back. Welcome back, team. Hawk in North Carolina on WPTI. That is a cool name. Well, thank you very much. I have an excellent quote for you considering what's been going on in the last week. All right, let's see what you got, Hawk. Here we go. Murdoch, I'm coming to get you. Um... Murdoch, I'm coming to get you. Uh, all right. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get very angry. Is, is that from Total Recall? Otherwise, I'm gonna get very angry at myself. No, it's older than that. Uh, I got nothing. What is it? That's Rambo Two. Ah, that's you got me. I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed right now. I'm, I'm doing a, a radio. A radio shame dance in here. I, I should I should have gotten that. That's a, a, right in the wheelhouse of action movie. I'm gonna have to go. You know what you've done though, uh, Hawk? Is you've given me an excuse to watch some Rambo this weekend. So I thank you for that. Well, I hope you enjoy it because it's it's one of the classic action movies for Americans out there. No question, America. All right, Hawk. Great to have you, man. Shields high. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, let's. Also take Melissa in West Virginia on the iHeart app. Hey, Melissa. Hi, Buck. How are you? Good, thank you. I've got an action movie quote for you. Hope you've been watching. Uh, okay. I'm having a rough day today. I'm, gonna, I'm like going to get demoted from a black belt to a green belt or something. But go ahead. I, I, I've noticed you're going to have to take the action movie quotes away. Anyway, okay. Set up. There's two guys. They're fighting it out. Finally, the one guy says, did Kordesky train you? The other guy says, yeah. He says, I trained Kordesky. And they go back to fighting. I got you again. Yeah, all right. What is it? Ah, another bang. What is it? It's retired. Extremely dangerous. The first one. I, Very good movies. You got to watch them. Both. I haven't even seen. I haven't even seen that. What is that? Retired. Extremely. It's Bruce Willis. It's an action movie. It's kind of a comedy action, but it's so good. Yeah, I mean, action comedy. I guess like True Lies technically counts as action movie, even though it's action comedy too. So I'm not. I'm not going to expel that from the realm of of what we can what we can do here. But I'll, all right, retired by Bruce Willis. Going on the list. Are you telling me I should see this, or is this like maybe I you should? You must. See you 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 should go see this, and then you will know what the Doctor Genius 1970 affair is about. All right, I still have no idea about any of this stuff, but thank you very much, <laughs> Melissa. Shields, I have a great weekend. Um, yeah. So, uh, what else did I have in mind for everything else going on here? Um, this is one of those moments where I, I have a bunch. I, I, I okay, the, the the Chelsea Clinton. Uh, the, the Chelsea Clinton. No, no, no. We're going to hold off on that for a second. Let's talk about sign. We'll, we'll get to the Chelsea Clinton thing in a few minutes because it's a piece in Vanity Fair and it's just amazing. Uh, it's amazing. And it answers some un, unanswered questions from yesterday when I was talking to Michelle Malkin about what is it with Democrats and Chelsea Clinton. This weekend, I think, is the March for Science. Um, is that? Yeah, yeah, right. This is this is the weekend. That's the March for Science. And they are scientists are hitting the street to demand 
respect and funding. This is what NBC News says. Uh, they study the birds and oh my gosh, NBC News, come on. They study the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above. They love bugs and frogs. They know that vaccines have saved tens of millions of lives and that climate change is not only real and worsened by people, but that it threatens our homes and livelihoods. No, it really it really doesn't, guys. But anyway. And now scientists and their supporters are getting their day in the limelight with a global march for a global march for science that grew out of the unexpectedly successful women's march at the end of January. You know, I I might have to go to the wait, where is there one in New York? Guys, we got to find out if there's one in New York because I might have to show up just to ask some, ask people at the science march some very some very basic questions, you know. Like I I'm just wondering if you're at the science march is it fair game to be like what what is what is the scientific method? Do you there is one in New York? All right, I, now I'm like committing myself to thinking. I'm committing myself to thinking about showing up at this on the weekend. I, I might have to go pop in there for a little bit and be like, "Hey, everybody. Um, so like, tell me, tell me about some some science things." And we could just come up with very, uh, very basic questions. You know, we we'd have to come up with you know at at what temperature. Does water boil, for example? I will take Fahrenheit or Celsius. You know, uh, what do you call what, what do you call the process by which plants you know live? What what is what is that? Um, we can we can come up with a whole bunch of questions. Very very basic stuff. Just to see. Look, I'm not at the science march. I'm not a science guy, uh, but I would be wondering how well they would do. I think the man on the street interviews at us at the science march in New York or anywhere this weekend would probably be easily described as epic. That is my guess. My assumption here is that there are going to be a lot uh, of people at this who know nothing about science and use science as a rallying cry for political ideas that have no basis in science whatsoever. Uh, and the, the entire process here is, is really unscientific. Uh, you can go back to Einstein. You know, you can get a whole room of people that say I'm wrong, but it should only take one to prove I'm wrong. This this is not um, this is not going to be a a movement that gathers people together in a in a state of harmony. That much I can I can promise you. And it's going to be a lot of stuff about climate change, um, which nobody at this rally will have an honest discussion with you about it. I don't know. Do they not realize when they discuss this, when they talk about it, it's just one long string of talking points that they haven't really thought much about? Uh, why Why is it? If climate change is an urgent threat, why aren't we seeing a huge decline or a huge drop in sales of beachfront properties in this country? I don't know. They'll, they'll point to some. They'll find me some neighborhood. I'm sure. I think actually I saw one recently. I think it was in Florida where they have problem with flood insurance. Well, yeah, because they've been getting flooded for the last 100 years. So it's understandable that you would have flood insurance issues. But also, if some part of the country is already at sea level and having issues with flooding, does that mean that all the rest of us have to change the way the economy works and allow the government to expand? Uh, it's already vast, but to expand even more into our day-to-day -day lives to control what we're doing because of um, because of climate change, yeah, I saw this uh, this series uh, Vice. They had a, a piece. It was actually an older piece, but I watched it just this last weekend or the weekend before. I forget. 
It was about trash in the oceans. And the, the, the story here is that there's a lot of trash in the oceans. A lot of trash ends up in the oceans, plastic in particular, and it creates these huge islands of trash. And part of this part of the story that they did was that there was uh, a young guy who's coming together with a method of cleaning up all the trash in the ocean. I don't know if it'll work or not, but they never take this into account either, right? We're, we're always led to believe that the science of today is going to be the science of 10 years from now. And so we should make all of these decisions about policy without knowing what the technology will look like. We are already decarbonizing as a uh, well, in this country and around the world, if you look at what fuels we're using more and more of and less and less of, they're not all renewables, but we are decarbonizing matter of course. All right, I got a little bit into a science. See, it's tough. I got into a science talk and I have time to finish it. We'll talk a little more science and also Chelsea Clinton on the flip side. Stay with me. The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. Lines are lit. Let's take them. Matt in Texas on the iHeart app. What's up, friend? Hey, Shield High, Buck. Shield High, Matt. I ha- it's actually Mac, M-A-C. Oh, uh, M-A-C. Yeah. Uh, but the, Mac uh, and Buck, I like it. it. Sounds like a buddy comedy. It, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Fine, <laughs> don't don't play along, anyway. Mac. What's on your mind? Okay, so uh, this is a spy movie quote. Okay, and I know you like spy movies. This one probably was released sometime around the time you were working for CIA. So I'm reasonably certain you saw it. So this is a softball one. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, be polite. Be courteous, show professionalism, and have a plan to kill everyone in the room. Uh, God, I know you got me. What is it? Okay, all right. Casino Royale 007. When does he say? I've seen that movie like a thousand times. When does he say that? He, he says that to right before... He is he's talking to the CIA agent actually. And he said he said, Do you have a plan? And he said, Yes, I'm going to be polite. I'm going to be courteous. I'm going to show professionalism and have a plan to kill everybody in the room. Uh yeah, okay. Legit. Legit. Good call. But I also see here you're a scientist, sir. Yes, sir, I am a scientist. I used to work for NOAA. I am now retired from NOAA, which stands for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. We don't build arcs. And what do you guys do? Well, one of the things I did was climate research. Oh, let's let's talk about this, caller. Uh, wh- what was your experience doing climate research? Let me give you three bullets from my resume. I worked, well, I wintered over in Antarctica. I'm going to give you four bullets. I wintered over in Antarctica. I worked at the National Ice Center. I worked at the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center. And I worked at the National Hurricane Center. Gotcha. So... The type of research that I did was on greenhouse gases and the effect that electrostatic precipitation has. Now, just to give you an idea what that means, it means what is the most potent greenhouse gas in the atmosphere? This is a good question for you to ask your people. If you go to this march, go ahead and ask them this question. What is the most potent greenhouse gas in the atmosphere? Methane? Answer. 
No, 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 no. Methane is not because that's a trace gas. The most potent greenhouse gas in the atmosphere is water vapor. Oh. Hmm. And if you if you do something called electrostatic precipitation, which is work that was done by Wilson in the Wilson Cloud Chamber experiments over 100 years ago, you see that the forcing from electrostatic precipitation is identical to the amount of forcing that they attribute to CO2. Uh-huh. So well, give, give me the layman's terms here. Okay. Solar wind. The more solar wind there is, the higher the global temperatures will be. The less solar wind there is, the lower the global temperatures will be. This is why during the what is called the Little Ice Age back in the 1600s, it, it simultaneously occurred during something called the Maunder Minimum, when the sun had no sunspot. In fact, there were scientists, that, of the astronomers of those days, that said Galileo must have been seeing things to have recorded sunspots, because we don't see a thing. There were zero sunspots. So the sun was very, very quiet. We know this. There was a, a Jesuit priest that recorded some data that went uh, back uh, over 150 years, called the, uh, the AA geomagnetic index. And if you correlate that with the global temperature data set, you get a match, a 98% correlation. So now can I ask you some, some of the, because I'm a journalist slash analyst, right? Let me ask you some of those questions. Is climate change a big deal? Are we all going to die? No. Didn't think so. In fact, uh, well, okay, we're all going to die. Oh, I'm sorry. We are all going to die. I, 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 that was, yeah, trick question there. I meant are we all going to die from climate change? <laughs> no, we're not. And you're asking the scientists a, a, a straight-out question. I'm going to give you the straight-out answer. No, we're not going to die from climate change. Here's the deal. Uh, what we're going to see over the next 20 years is decreasing global temperatures and possibly the advance of the next ice age. Wait, global cooling? But it was global warming until like five minutes ago. Doc, what's going on? No. Well, the sun is getting quieter. But, I mean, it, all it, those people in Malibu driving a Prius, like, they've been trying to stop it from getting hotter. And now you're telling me it's getting colder. You're blowing my world here. Oh, I'm sorry. The only thing they're doing is saving a little a buck here, a buck there on mileage. Uh, but they're really not doing anything. Here's what I want you to do. After this conversation, I want you to get me to your producer, and I will, I will email you some information which will knock your socks off. That sounds great. Look, but can, can I ask you before I let you go, Doc? And I will uh, uh, let let's get the, let's get the Doc's info for contact, and I, I'd love to see some of his research and and uh, use him. Doc, we'll use you as a resource as much as we can. I love, you know, we've got a I got we've got some some Docs in the past who have been friends of the show that we've been able to reach out to and even have on. So, um, but let me just add, when so you're you're a scientist. You you listed your resume of these places you've worked. Uh, which would put you in, in a perfect position to comment on climate change. You're here on my show telling me that there'll be a period of global cooling, but that we're not all going to die. It's not this urgent threat. Barack Obama was at the Coast Guard Academy, what, two years ago, saying that the most urgent national security threat we face is climate change. Um, if I said that that's crazy, people would say, well, all scientists would say that you're crazy, Buck, but you're a scientist and you're not saying I'm crazy. So how does that, how does that no. work? Okay, here I'm, I'm going to give you a little secret. Every director of the National Hurricane Center does not believe in global warming, including the current director. You can talk to Bob Sheets, and he will tell you the same thing. You can talk to Jerry Gerald, and he will tell you the same thing. I know these men personally, and they will tell it to you straight. 
Even Dr. Bill Gray from uh, Colorado State University will tell you the same thing. It's horse uh, <clears throat> fertilizer. There we go. Yeah, thank you. We're on radio. I appreciate that. Um, so well, yeah, 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 we, I, can, I, can we have on? Could we have on some of these gentlemen you met or, you know, one of them or we'll, we'll reach out to them. I'd love because it's the March for Science this weekend. You understand the March for Science is really a uh, is really an excuse for climate change activism. And Trump is going to destroy the world. Right. That's what the March for Science is really about. It has nothing to do with any other scientific pursuit. Yeah, no, I wasn't invited. Um, no, not I, surprised. Also, I, I signed the Heidelberg appeal. So if you want to find out who the scientists are that oppose global warming, you, you look up Heidelberg Appeal. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so they're out there. So when it, so uh, maybe they'll have me on the Bill Maher show and I can yell back when Bill Maher is like, you know, 99 percent, the consensus on science. Like, no, that's not true. It's just not true. It's, not true. it's simply not true. That's, that is an absolute falsehood. Um, all right. Well, Doc, uh, we, we would love to have you, uh, you know, keep us in the loop and we'll we'll uh, we'll reach out. We'll establish contact, get in touch with some of your people. I'd love the Freedom Hut to be full of scientists who actually know what they're talking about, who will engage on these various issues and, and, and educate folks. I'm not a scientist, but I do know when people are lying to me. I'm a trained intelligence officer, so I do know that. Right. So I'm, I'm good at that part. You, you, of it. You're also able to read a graph. That is true, too. <laughs> yes. And, and so. When I send you some graphs, you're going to go OMG. OMG for realsies. All right, uh, Matt in uh, in Texas. Great to have you all, man. Get Matt's in. Get a T, not a T, not a Mac. T. Sorry, Mac. Mac. It's written on my screen wrong. Mac in Texas. Uh, caller, uh, call screener, please, uh, Sarah. Grab his uh, info. We'll, we'll be in touch with him, and um, that'll be great. Uh, speaking of speaking of science, now we're, we're we're switching stuff around. We'll have to do Chelsea Clinton after that. I know. I I'm, I'm dragging you all along here with the promise of a Chelsea Clinton piece because it's so good. It's like, I'm going to make the best the pizza pie appear for you. You just have to stay with me. Um, but I, I saw this, and, and this was... I, I've been asking for a while on the on the issue of, uh, of science and scientists uh, for someone to come on who will talk to me about, uh, about the science of transgenderism. And we haven't... And I know that my positions on this, to people who are transgender rights advocates, they find it... Uh, even though I'm very nice to, I know transgender people, very friendly to them. I, I, there's no, I have no problem with them. I just, as a matter of of public policy, I think we should have an open discussion about what the limits are of the policies, bathroom usage, all this. That, that seems fair to me, right? We can have that discussion, and we've been unable so far to get anyone to come on and, and take me up on that. We're going to continue, and if any of you listen, look, we just had a we just had a N O A H scientist on, so. Uh, if there's anybody out there who would like to, you can even call in on a, on a pseudonym as long as we can verify your credentials independently. If you want to come on as a scientist and talking about, or we want really MDs more than scientists, I think, but um, someone will talk to me about transgender and transgenderism from a scientific ex, uh, perspective. But there's this uh, Twitter account called Trans Equality. And I thought this was very, and it has a, a substantial following. Uh, what is this? Uh, 66,000 people it's verified so i'm assuming it's real um but maybe not uh but it's got a substantial following and it tweeted out this comment that i thought was very illuminating but not for the reasons that they thought um and it's from a woman's facebook page who was commenting on well here i'll just read it to you i just commented and this was tweeted out and got a whole lot of retweets and everyone's you know a lot of, a lot of buzz i just commented on this on a transphobic post that was all like 
In a sexual species, females have two X chromosomes and males have an X and a Y. I'm not a bigot, it's just science. And this person responds, I'm a science teacher, so I responded with this. First of all, in a sexual species, you can have females be XX and males be X, insects. You can have females be ZW and males be ZZ, birds. You can have females be females because they developed in a warm environment and males be males because they developed in a cool environment, reptiles. And she goes on, and I'm thinking to myself, we all understand that has nothing to do with anything, right? That this is this is not we're talking about uh, moral choices and uh, the ethics of scientific procedures for human beings. T- telling this science teacher that they're treating out here, telling me about reptiles and uh, snails and earthworms, it, while maybe of some of some just intellectual interest to learn about the mating habits of of. Uh, you know, of squirrels and worms or whatever, has nothing to do with the discussion we're talking about whatsoever, right? Human beings are not earthworms. We, we all know that. Okay, so that that is irrelevant. She goes, uh, oh, did you mean humans? So this person apparently understands that that's a digression that's not particularly helpful. Okay, then. You can be male because you were born female, but you have five alpha reductase deficiency, and so you grow male organs at a young age. You can be female because you have an X and a Y chromosome, but you are insensitive to androgens, and so you have a female body. And and goes on at some length here into a number of chromosomal issues. I would just, again, this brings me back to the intelligence officer skill set instead of a scientist, because I'm not a scientist at all. Don't pretend to be, don't have much of a background in science. Um, but I do know when people are making bad arguments and, uh, and or lying or evading the truth. Um, is this what transgender people are claiming they have? Is it a medical condition now? Because I'm pretty sure it's a psychological condition, and that's actually never addressed in this entire post. She ends it with, don't use science to justify your bigotry. Um, okay, well, is it a scientific issue now? Because I'm actually, if we're going to discuss that there are people out there who are, who are physically, genetically in between male and female, let's have that talk. But is that, that's not what some of the most well-known transgender people in this country are claiming, unless I'm mistaken. Is that what a vast majority of people in the transgender community are saying now? Because if it's a physical characteristic and not an emotional, psychological characteristic, then doesn't that block out those for whom it is emotional and psychological? Because they're not, they're not a, a real transgender person. It can't, it, it can't be both, right? This can't be, oh, no, the science is on our side. Here's a, the, what was it, 5-alpha reductase deficiency. How, many, how often does that happen, by the way? Are we also going into a, an extreme example to justify a much broader policy that has nothing to do with that? Um, but these are the questions that I want to ask. But I think it's interesting that here's the first time I've seen someone try to use science to justify transgender policy and it actually leaves open more questions and I think undermines the argument in many ways more than someone on the left who embraces all this stuff would ever realize. Is it, is it a physical characteristic? Can we look? Can we tell under with a physical exam or under a microscope if we're at the chromosomal level that, that, that that's what transgenderism is? Or is this a choice? Is it emotional and psychological? Oh, is it just both because it's convenient? I don't think so. I'm still waiting for someone to, to someone with a real background. We we try and they won't do it. They they just won't. Got to hit a break. We'll be right back. Um, all right, I'm gonna have to do a little bit of a Chelsea Clinton talk now, and then we'll finish it later because I also have a guest joining. Uh, okay, 
this guy, Vanity Fair is a very fancy magazine. It's full of people who are, you know, very intellectual. They wear, they wear slender ties now because they're fashionable and they have uh, spectacles, perhaps even a monocle or a spectacle, either, either or. Uh, but Vanity Fair has a great piece here on because we were talking about this yesterday with Chelsea Clinton. Why? I, and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to be mean here. I don't like being mean, and and I really I, one of my self imposed mandates in media and on the show, and it's probably to the detriment of my career because so many people get attention by just saying by calling people names and being nasty and mean all the time and calling everyone an idiot and saying everyone's ugly and everything else. I just I don't do that, uh, or try very hard not to do that. I mean, no one's perfect. With with Chelsea Clinton, it's like, why am I seeing a photo of her that looks so obviously distorted and photoshopped and everything else? Where they're trying to make her, they're trying to make her cool on the cover of Variety. She's done nothing to uh, to attain the title of cool, and honestly, she's done nothing to attain the title of anything other than Hillary Clinton's daughter. And from everything we know about her, not only is she unimpressive, but she's pretty annoying from what we pick up here. And she's a public figure. She wants to go give speeches. She wants to comment on policy. She has over a million Twitter followers, and she writes really inane, vapid stuff on Twitter for people to read and comment on. So she's a public figure. So this is all fair game. Vanity Fair writes this piece, and it's a good one. Title, Please God, Stop Chelsea Clinton from Whatever She Is Doing. The last thing the left needs is the third iteration of a failed political dynasty. I brought this up yesterday. I don't know why the Democrats are still holding on to this notion of the greatness of the Clintons unless it is a bridging mechanism to the next dynasty. And they're trying to figure out what that is. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is unless Michelle Obama decides to run. I can't see the Democrats coming up with any renew, you know, taking any of the big dynastic uh, names that, they, you know, Kennedys, Obamas, Clintons, you, you look at what the Democrats have as their main, uh, I guess maybe Al Gore is in that kind of in that category. You know, people forget his dad was a, a senator. Uh, but they're looking for some way to just because celebrity is what wins in politics now, as we know. Look, we have a celebrity president and it doesn't mean he's not going to do a good job and I don't support him, but he's a celebrity. Celebrity. Obama was a celebrity. People said he's a politician. He was really he was like, you know, 80 percent celebrity, 20 percent politician. I mean, he was a figure in the media and in the public eye with a with when he ran for president, as you know, and I'm getting off topic here, but a pretty flimsy legislative record as a state senator and then a member, you know, a junior member of the Senate. Not not an impressive political resume, but of course, made into a major media figure by the media. They're trying to do the same thing with Chelsea Clinton. Here's the problem. She's not working. And this title, uh, this piece, Please God, Stop Chelsea Clinton from Whatever She Is Doing. I just want to read you the beginning of it, and then we'll, I, I will get back into this. Amid investigations into Russian election interference, perhaps we ought to consider whether the Kremlin, to hurt Democrats, helped put Chelsea Clinton on the cover of Variety. Or maybe superstition explains it. Like tribesmen laying out a sacrifice to placate King Kong— News outlets continue to make offerings to the Clinton gods. In the New York Times alone, Chelsea has starred in multiple features over the past few months. For her tweeting, it's become, quote, feisty. For her upcoming book, to be titled She Persisted. And her reading habits. She says she has an embarrassingly large collection of books on her Kindle. 
With Chell, by the way, that doesn't mean she reads them. She just has a lot on her Kindle because she has a lot of money that mommy and daddy gave her. But maybe it's true she has a lot of books. It is. It's embarrassing the number of books on her Kindle because I'm sure she knows. Wow, I've probably read like a couple of these, but I keep buying them. With Chelsea's 2015 book, It's Your World, now out in paperback, the puff pieces and other outlets, L, people, etc., are too numerous to count. Let's talk about this pushback on the puff pieces, but we got to hit a break. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are gold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, everybody, welcome back. Venezuela is in a crisis right now. There are uh, riots in the streets. People are being killed. It is pandemonium and anarchy. Many of us saw this coming because the moment that a government has full and total control over the economy, over security, over everything, well, things go wrong. That brings me to our next guest, Ami Horowitz. You'll recall that he had a viral documentary on migrant violence in Sweden. Well, now he's got a new documentary out that focuses on the crisis in Venezuela called What's Wrong with Socialism? Ami Great to have you, and we have a clip of the sh- of the documentary. Right? Let's play it. What's wrong with socialism? Nothing. What's wrong with socialism? Nothing. Nothing. What's wrong with socialism? I don't have anything. I don't have any problems with it. I don't think anything's wrong with socialism. Capitalist countries have always been messing with its ideology and trying to delegitimize it. I I kind of like it. I think the American people like socialism. I think socialism's great. They think socialism's great, or at least some of them do, Ami. What'd you find out when you were in Venezuela? Socialism is not so great. <laughs> That's what I found out. I mean, socialism has taken Venezuela and, and thrown it in. It, it's become a, a Malthusian state. It's, it's really almost post-apocalyptic. It's, it's almost hard to, to describe how bad things are from, from every perspective. Violence, uh, lack of food, lack of political stability, poverty. Uh, it, it is... As bad, and you know, Buck, I've been to some pretty dangerous places. I've been to some pretty crazy places. This is among the most dangerous places I've ever been to. What did you see? Tell us about what it was like on the streets of Venezuela. Well, the first thing that happens is when you, when you first arrive at Caracas International Airport, there's no lights. I mean, there's nobody there. There's no, it's just nobody's home. You're wondering if they even land in the right place. And then you kind of make your way down these long, dark hallways and then you finally get into an area where they're checking your passport. You're like, okay, so this is actually the right place to go. Then when you get to the airport, in order to get into the city, the hotel, and I'm staying at a, you know, kind of a, for them, a very fancy Marriott, they're like, under no circumstance, under no circumstance are you to step foot outside the airport. We'll have a guy waiting for you, security, and a driver. This is a hotel uh, to pick you up, and that's what they had, a driver, security, to drive you into Caracas. And first blush, when you're first driving into the city, things look fairly normal, right? It just looks kind of like a regular city. Until you start really taking a look at different parts of the city, and you realize, first of all, it's, a, it's a, really a country of lines. Everywhere you go, whether it be a bank or a supermarket or a drugstore, you have lines that go blocks and blocks and blocks. And that's because they're rationing everything because they have no food, they have no drugs, you don't have access to your own money, and inflation is so rampant, it's out of control, people try and bring, take out as much money as they can because every week they're losing more money, it's value. And the most, that's disturbing enough, 
But really the most disturbing is the violence, like I alluded to before. To give you a sense of how bad it is, uh, we, were held, we were held up. Two guys in motorcycles drove up to us, stole our equipment. We had to rent new. We had to buy new equipment. So can I just can I just jump in here for a second, Ami? You were attacked when you were looking into Muslim migrant violence in Sweden, and now you're in Venezuela and you were robbed. Yeah, you're seeing a bit of a trend there. There, there is a, there. I'm just noticing a pattern. But go ahead. So you were robbed. Thank God we were robbed, but but not harmed anyway. Uh, the next day, uh, next couple of days later, when we actually got the equipment, we we're shooting some B-roll. We we're just shooting shots of Venezuela and Caracas, and we see pop, pop, pop. And this is on camera. We turn around, and there's a guy shot right in the stomach in front of us. We caught it on camera. He's lying on the floor bleeding out as a policeman walks up to him and, and just looks at him and walks away. And, and maybe even, not, not maybe, the most disturbing part of it, and it's really a terrible story, our fixer, the person who set us up to go into the barrios, uh, she, she made the deal to get us protection in the barrios, was murdered the day after we left, just shot outside of her home. My I mean, God. it's hard to describe the depths uh, that this country has sunk to. It really is. Were you, in the interviews, uh, what were you able to, what were people saying? What do they want to happen? Uh, we, what did you pick up from talking to the locals? Well, the locals, obviously, and, and, and this goes for upper class, middle class, lower class. I mean, there, there, there is uh, a, a sense of, Desperate. I mean, desperation is the only word you can think of, an absolute sense of desperation. Now, the rich you are, it's obviously a little bit easier for you. You can pay, quote-unquote, full price for food, so you can get access to food in the supermarket. Uh, anybody middle class and below, and, and by the way, most people who were middle class will all classify themselves now as in poverty. But there was a, a quote-unquote, middle class, not compared to what we have, but, but for them, a middle class, that's all gone. That's all, they're all in poverty. And you get a sense of, listen, we don't, we don't have food to eat. We've got to decide, do I want to stay with my baby overnight or do I want to leave my baby at home? This is what people are telling us, and, and have to walk over to a line at 10 o'clock at night to hopefully get some food at 6 o'clock in the morning. These are the choices these people are making. Um, the most unfortunate part, though, is that when I try to get – they've learned the, the wrong lesson from what's happening in, in Venezuela. You would think they, say, they would say, we need to get out of socialism. We need to get out of this business of the country trying to take care of us. But, but the reality was the lesson they've learned from that, and, and, and person after person would say it to us, we need somebody who will take care of us better. That was the theme you heard time in and time out, and it's heartbreaking because they're never going to break this cycle with that kind of attitude. Was there any sense of, of hope for the future or, or any sense that reform was possible when you were down there? No, zero. zero literally zero. I, I didn't come across a single person who had any hope for the future. In fact, they, they, to, to a man, everybody there understood that it's going to get worse, way worse, before it gets better. Because, you know, while, they're, they're, while this violence is pervasive all across, it's the one thing that's egalitarian about that country is the violence. Because, by the way, you know how people love to talk about America being, you know, an unequal society, right, quote-unquote? The, the earnings gap is so significant that people like to, to rag in America for that. Yeah, you don't know what poverty is and extreme wealth until you go to a place like Venezuela. But, uh, no, even the wealthy people had nothing but pessimism. Because the reality is, it, it's, they don't have, I mean, listen, you know what South America is like when it comes to revolution? I mean, they're on the cusp 
of a revolution, but the revolution is going to be it's going to be bad, it's going to be bloody, it's going to be prolonged, and even after that revolution, they're not going to come out the other side. It's just it's simply going to be darkness for a long time. A lot of the people who I don't know if if this was something that came up when you're down there, but I just know about this. Uh, from my own life in contacts, that a lot of the individuals and families in Venezuela who would have been in a position to uh, help mount a a political you know political opposition and and a political reform movement, they left. They were like years ago because they saw this coming. Uh, they're like, we're out of here. Oh, there, yeah. There's no anybody who's able to get out of there. In other words, able to sell their business, pull their money out. They took off long ago. And and like you said, not only are these the people who would spark a political opposition. These are people who, in, in the aftermath of any kind of opposition, could spark the economy again. Right? There's no hope because the real wealth creators, for, for what there was, they're all gone. They're just, they're, they, why wouldn't they leave? Right? They had a chance to go to Miami. They had a chance to go to Brazil. I mean, these people just took off. So even if there was some kind of possibility of them getting out of this, there's nobody there to pick up the pieces and rebuild the place. Uh, it's uh, I, don't, I don't I don't know. Do the people I, I blame the government, or do they blame? Because one of the things that uh, that they do very well in some of these uh, third world dictatorship situations is they blame America, they blame imperialism, some some outside sinister force. Uh, have people finally turned on the government? Yeah. So so I didn't get what you get. I get a lot of everywhere else I go. I didn't get that this is the fault of America. That, that was the one thing that was sort of heartening from this trip. It was blaming the – now, the way it split is you, – you, the one would ask the question, well, why isn't there some kind of revolt? And the reality is that the government is very smart. So whatever cash they do have, they're spreading around to thugs and to other people to make sure there is a core political support behind them. But they blame – they don't blame socialism. That's one thing I want to get clear. Again, they're, they're talking about we need a government taking care, better care of us. They don't blame socialism as much as they blame the particular people in government. So what Chavez and now Maduro. Uh, they, so Maduro is just not a good enough socialist. That seems to be the lesson that at least a lot of Venezuelans are taking from this. That's, that's, really, uh, that's really discouraging. Yeah, no, you're, that's exactly right. It is extraordinarily discouraging. Uh, and and this, listen, this is, this is not, Venezuela is not the only country going through this. You're seeing a leftist sweep throughout South and Central America. And uh, that is going to come to haunt not just them, but it's going to come to haunt us in a significant way. I mean, the reason why, you know, one can ask, well, why is, you know, listen, there are a lot of petro states out there. Venezuela, by the way, should be one of the wealthiest countries on planet Earth. Biggest oil reserves on the planet, bigger than Saudi Arabia. That nobody knows that. Bigger than Saudi Arabia, you're exactly right. But the reason why the Saudis, the Russians, the other petrostates were able to weather this significant decrease in, in oil price is because they kept reinvesting a lot of their money back in their oil fields so that when this would happen, and it always does, they could just pump out more oil to make up for the shortfall in price. Venezuela took all their money because they're a good socialist country and just gave it to social programs. They didn't reinvest anything back into their country. And so they nationalized everything. They kicked out any kind of expertise they would have had to figure out how to pump more oil out. So they're stuck at the same levels of oil coming out of the ground, just the prices have collapsed under them. So it's gotten to the point, but they're running out of any, they're running out of cash. They don't have cash for anything. You know, I had to get out of the, out of the, um, I was there for about two weeks. And for a weekend, I was like, I can't spend any, another day here. Like I wanted to take off somewhere, and I went to Aruba, which is only about a 30-minute flight outside of Caracas. And when we, the plane landed at Aruba, 
the Arubian authorities come on the plane, and they're taking cash from people. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I asked my seatmate next to me, I go, what's going on? He said, well, the, 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 the Venezuelan authority doesn't have money to pay the landing taxes, so we had to collect cash to pay the landing taxes. Otherwise, we'd go back to Venezuela. Wow. Uh, Ami, we got to leave it there for now, but how can people watch your documentary? They can find it on Ami Horowitz on YouTube, or they can go to Ami Horowitz Facebook, Twitter. It's out there. Just everybody, Ami Horowitz. That's where you go. That's um, right. What's Wrong with Socialism is a documentary. Our friend Ami Horowitz, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, sir. All right, team, hitting a break here. We will be uh, back in a few. I have to credit uh, Ian Bremer, who's a political analyst, runs a political uh, risk consultancy called Eurasia Group, for this tweet. Uh, MSNBC ran a, a Chiron, which is what you see, the writing at the bottom of the screen when you're looking on a news channel. Uh, unrest in Venezuela over Trump donations. Wow. Yeah. That's what the unrest in Venezuela is about, MSNBC. Trump donations. Uh, and Brammer wrote that this might be the stupidest thing he's seen all year and the bar is low. Totally agree on that. Um, but I see something else that's really stupid. And this is one of these times when I wish I had another three hours with all of you uh, because I'm I'm stumbling into some other topics that I wanted to wanted to hit on and and uh, haven't I haven't had a chance yet and all like we got lines lit up all over the place man do I, I feel like I never have enough time with the team um, uh, that's probably a good a good shameless uh, transition to bucksexon.com check it out uh, also if you're not already following me on Facebook and Twitter please go to facebook.com/bucksexton most of you're probably on Facebook so that we'll start with that uh, and I'm on Twitter too at bucksexton so this is crazy. I I am almost I'm almost doubtful of the authenticity of it, but it looks looks real, unless this is some fake website that someone made for Middlebury Campus, which would be quite bizarre. Um, I, I'm just gonna read this. So wait, just to recap, we had on uh well we had on uh, Heather um from uh, Heather McDonald from the Manhattan Institute talked about her run-ins with the campus speech. And the campus anti-speech fascists who think they're Antifa, which is, of course, the great irony of it. Uh, now there, We mentioned Middlebury and uh, what happened uh, there with Charles Murray, who was attacked, physically attacked, at a small college in Vermont for the crime of showing up to give a speech as an invited guest. This is from a Middlebury professor. I almost cannot believe it. I'm going. I, I know I've got more Chelsea Clinton stuff I want to talk to you about. I, I'm I'm being pulled in so many directions, team. Uh, here's what it, here's what this Middlebury College professor, after the invited guest Charles Murray, author of the Bell Curve and as well as other books, is attacked on campus as an invited speaker. Here's what the chair chairman he writes chair but a chair is an inanimate object chairman of the political science department writes earlier this year i offered a symbolic departmental co-sponsor sponsorship to the charles murray event in the same way that i had done with other events in the past on my own without wider consultation this was a mistake last week i apologized to my departmental colleagues for this closed decision-making process and I apologize now to the broader Middlebury community. The short amount of time between when the event became public and when it occurred gave all of us scant opportunity to listen to and understand alternative points of view. Most importantly, and to my deep regret, it contributed to a feeling of voicelessness that many already experience on this campus 
and it contributed to the very real pain that many people, particularly people of color, have felt as a result of this event. He is apologizing to the little maniacs on Middlebury campus who attacked an invited guest giving a speech. I mean, this is abject submission. This is the end of 1984 when the main character is denouncing his lover to the police. Anything, just stop, anything to get you to stop. The chairman of the political science department of Middlebury. Abject cowardice on display here. I'm sorry that we co-sponsor the Charles Murray event. Please don't think I'm bigoted and racist. These people have tenure. Starting salary for a tenured professor at Middlebury is over over a hundred grand. Gotta be. It was over a hundred grand when I was at Amherst uh, over a decade ago. It's like this very similar school, except Amherst is better. Uh, over a hundred thousand, and you can't get fired. And he's apologizing. This has gotten national attention. He's apologizing for it. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I, I'm, I'm sitting here like. The this is we we look we gotta we gotta confront this we gotta fight this we shields high like I say man you've got to get up there in the front line on this one and just we can't let this go this is insane it is absolutely insane uh man I've got a lot of calls here I I, I wanted to get to them I'm sorry those of you who've been holding um uh, Cliff in North Carolina we, we got about a minute but I want to get you in you've been on a whole long time what's up Cliff Hey how you doing Good just just got turned on to your show thank you um the uh this business this gas attack in syria all kinds of red flags went up for me assad is a bad guy but he's not an idiot he wasn't losing the war against the rebels why would he drop gas uh gas well he's dropped gas many times before and gas is a weapon that has a psychological impact it's just sort of the same reason that you would have Assad operating torture chambers and releasing people after a long detention with a lot of torture into the general population afterwards because it inspires fear. Gas also inspires fear. But Cliff, I will give that a more thorough uh, response when we when we're, we're definitely going to be talking about Syria and, and international relations again next week. But I, I appreciate you uh, you calling in. I'm sorry that you were on hold for such a long time. And uh, for everybody else who's on hold, please call back next week anytime you want. We will take your calls. Um, as we can. I know a lot of people have been very patient. We've had a lot of calls today. Uh, please do tell a friend about the show. That's the If I could ask one favor of all of you listening, be like, hey, check out Buck Sexton with America Now. They're like, well, I don't have him in my area. Just be like, well, you can download the uh, podcast on iTunes or on the iHeart app. You can play it on demand. Just type or just go to BuckSexton.com. There you go. You can play it at BuckSexton.com as well. Um, until next time, my friends, have a great weekend. Shields high.